it's great to have you here today, and it's great to see a lot of uh, familiar faces as well as a lot of new faces too. And uh, I want to truly thank you uh, for being here. There sometimes seems to be uh, a little bit of a tendency um, among some churches that we kind of have this mentality that we kind of turn the lights off, not like we just turn the lights off there, but we turn the lights off and we shut down for the summer, that that's it, that we just kind of take a break and God's up there saying, yeah, we'll see you in September and God takes a nap and he takes the summer off too. But that's just not uh, the case. So I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for making worship a priority. I know that there are golf tournaments and, and races to run and, and youth sports and all sort of things like that, and, but you can't do them today anyway, so you might as well be here. Uh, of course, you know, all those things can be fun and good, but I also believe that we can get so busy with so many things that we get distracted from the most important things. So I love that you're making worship a priority, that you're remembering the Sabbath as one of God's laws as not some, some rule to follow, but because you know you need it, that it's important to be here. You know that your relationship with God is bigger than you. It's bigger than you, that you being a part of a church isn't just what I can get out of it, it's what I can bring to it. It's, it's who I am and what I'm contributing to the whole. Because one of the dangers that I think we can run into sometimes during the summer months is we kind of let this summer break mentality that we have in terms of the school schedule and things like that, it kind of can creep into our relationship with God a little bit as well. And although it's important to take time to rest and relax and take time for a vacation, and, and slow down a little bit, and those are all good things, and I pray that you do those things. I pray that you do those things purposefully. I pray that you, that you discover those things that are, are truly going to fill you up, those things that are truly going to give you rest, um, that are going to fill you up, and that you'll continue to be diligent in your walk with God, that you'll continue to be diligent in regular worship because you were created for it. And not as a duty, but as a delight, because you were created for it. It's what God designed you to do, because we don't want to miss anything that God might have for us this summer. In fact, I was praying about this this week, and I was just really sensing that, that as a church, as a whole, this week, that God would really desire for us to lean into him this summer. You know when you're out there and you're, you're, uh, you're uh, water skiing, right? And you're out there and you're kind of weaving back and forth. And sometimes you have to lean into it a little bit, right? I'm really sensing that this summer God really wants us to lean into him even deeper than we ever have. To not pull back and say, well, God, I'll see you in September, right? Meanwhile, could you grow me a little bit? God asks us to do our part to lean into him a little bit. And I was thinking about this. I was talking with a mentor of mine the past couple of weeks. And he said, you know what? I just really sense that God is, is telling me and challenging me um, and to, to ask myself this question. What would it look like for me to be more in love with God at the end of this summer than I am now? What would it look like for me to be more in love with God at the end of this summer than I have now? Not in some prideful way, or I have to achieve God's love in some sort of way, but in the quality and the quantity of time that you're spending with him and in, in, in letting him work in you. So God's not taking the summer off, and we certainly should not either. This summer, we're going to be spending some time in the Old Testament. And I love the Old Testament. We're beginning this series today called The Old Testament Times. 
And so it's almost as if I handed you a newspaper here this morning. And we're going to be treating some of these familiar Old Testament uh, stories essentially as if they were newspaper headlines. That's what the sermon titles are, essentially if it happened yesterday, right? If we're talking about Noah today and if it just happened yesterday. And it seems like for many of us, I don't know about you, but what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the Old Testament? What comes to mind when you think of the Old What's that? In the beginning. In the beginning. What else? Angry God, yeah, what else? Thing, names we can't pronounce, that's very true, that's very honest. So it seems to me like when we think about the Old Testament, uh, one of two things usually comes to mind. is First of all, it's either the simple, easy to understand, child-friendly stories that everyone has heard of, probably whether you've read the Bible a lot or not. You know, we've got David and Goliath, and Daniel in the lion's den, and, and Noah and the ark that we're going to talk about today. But most likely, you grew up with these stories not knowing the rest of the story, the full story. If you're anything like me, you grew up with these stories, and they were painted as a mural on the wall of your Sunday school room, right? Or maybe in the hallway of the educational wing of your church, and they're painted as a mural, and you just see these stories, or, or maybe they're Velcro, because they're on a flannel graph, and your Sunday school teachers, right? The flannel graph, and they're sticking them on there. They're these little cutouts, right? That's what the Old Testament was to me, or maybe you just know the Veggie Tale versions, right? And now it's finally hit you that Noah's not a cucumber. I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's just not true. And so um, I don't know, but when you're thinking of the Old Testament, it's either that, and there are these cute and cuddly characters, or when you're thinking of the Old Testament, it's either old, boring, or irrelevant, right? If we're truly honest with ourselves, the New Testament is a lot easier to understand. Most of the time, these stories in the Old Testament, you have to unpack them. And there's all these layers and weird names of people that we don't even understand. And, and we get to thinking we have the New Testament, right? Jesus has come. He's shown us the way Jesus even said it himself. I have come to fulfill the law. I'm it. So we just need the New Testament, right? So why even bother? And so our hope is that over the next couple months at, at all our campuses in West Des Moines and North Branch and here in the city, our hope is to hopefully dig into some of these stories much deeper and find out the fact that they are neither soft and cuddly, easy to understand characters, but at the same time, they're also not old or boring or irrelevant. They are neither safe or clean all the time, nor are they irrelevant to our lives. In fact, those of you that I know that spend time in the scriptures, you know how powerful and important these stories of the Old Testament are, how they, how they come to life in some very real ways. And I'll be honest with you, we're here setting up this morning at about 8 o'clock. I'm getting my uh, PowerPoint ready that you're looking at up here, and we're preparing some video clips that we're going to show you today, and all of a sudden... That's why we have a bucket in the front row here. Because God thinks it's rather funny that we're talking about Noah today, I guess. And so um, I, I don't know what that's all about. But um, we're looking at that. Um, sometimes we, we, we think about that. And we know that the connections run much deeper than just coincidence. Um, I was thinking about this this week. And I'm like, God, I was wondering if maybe you could just help us personalize the Old Testament a little bit. If you could just, if you could just make it very real for us. I think I was praying this maybe last Sunday or Monday. And then God's like, okay. 
And so it's been raining for five days straight. And God's like, you know what? I could probably do it again if I wanted to, right? Um, but we know that the connections run deeper than that. That the same God that was with Noah that we read about in our stories is the same God that's with us today. And Noah was a normal guy just like us. It says Noah was a righteous man. Noah walked with God. And we'll talk about that. But Noah was also an ordinary guy. He was a human being with struggles and doubts and fears just like the rest of us. And although Noah was blameless, he was far from perfect. And if there's anything, if there's anything that I want you to hear over these next several weeks as we look at these heroes of the faith, my hope is that we can kind of take their little glass figurine off of the pedestal that we put them on and that maybe we could put God on the pedestal and lift him up because how he takes ordinary people with just an ounce of faith and uses them for incredible purposes. And I was thinking maybe we're not supposed to see ourselves looking up to them so much as to see ourselves in them so much. And although there are so many layers to the story, especially this layer of Noah, we could do an entire sermon series on Noah. And there's so many layers to discuss. I want to highlight just a few for you. As we think about this story of Noah, and a lot of you are familiar with it, and and we kind of like to avoid the first part of it. We like to get to the fun part when we get to go for the big boat ride, right? Down, down in the water, and we get to do that, and it's fun, and everybody's happy, and God saves the world, right? Well, there's this whole story before that, and I don't think that we can look at the entirety of the story of Noah without seeing a God that is very, very large and powerful. And I'm not talking about in a, in, a, in a physical sense, but in a sense of what he is capable of doing, how powerful he is. And, and what I hope that you see in the details of this story is that it is only a story that could be written by God. So I've got some good news and some bad news. Where do you want to start? The good news? Good news or the bad news? It doesn't matter. I'm going to start with the bad news anyway. So, uh, go to verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. Because that's what I have written in my notes. We'll get to the good news. Chapter 6, verse 5 is where we're going to start. And and like John said, this is the the prequel to the story that a lot of you know. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw... And stop right there. (laughs) The Lord saw... Who does the story start with? Who's the story about? The Lord, right? It doesn't start with, so there's this incredible guy of faith named Noah. It starts with the Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth, how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, or maybe as your, yours says, consistently and totally evil. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Okay, so before we run off and start talking about how cool Noah is, uh, we will miss the foundation of this entire story. And sorry, this isn't exactly the Sunday School Veggie Tales version either. First of all, this could only be a story written by God because what kind of a God, think about this for a second, what kind of a God would admit that his heart was filled with pain? What? Or as maybe as your translation says, it broke his heart. 
it broke his heart. Gods aren't supposed to have broken hearts, right? Gods are supposed to be strong and and independent and put together and they don't need anybody else. But it says it broke God's heart. And this may be the first surprise to you about this story. You may think the story, it's all about God's wrath and it's all about God's anger. And and, and maybe some of you don't really like this story. Because it just shows that God is mean and angry and that he isn't fair and he just wiped out everybody with a flood because he was mad at a few people. God just had a really, really bad day. But that's just not the case. Look again back at verse 5. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Consistently and totally evil. We're not talking about uh, people honestly and and, and humbly trying to follow God and, and falling down and messing up and getting back up once in a while. Think of the worst movie villain that you know, right? Think of, think of that movie that you know, and there's just that corrupt, evil, totally, totally corrupt villain who have no intention of changing. They are so far gone, they're not even thinking about good anymore. They're not even thinking about what's best for the people. They have no intention of ever having a change of heart. Those who have completely and utterly rejected everything that God has for them. That's what the Lord saw when he looked out on the human race at the time of Noah. And so God notices this because he's deeply involved with his creation. Right away, this story tells us we don't have a passive God. We break God's heart when evil happens out of us, yet God does not sit passively by. This is not the big, exciting news. (laughs) But it is true. This is the kind of God that we have. You'll notice, if you look throughout the Old Testament as we're going to be going through it, one of the things I hope you'll notice is a consistent pattern of all throughout these stories of the Old Testament is a God who doesn't desire wrath but desires mercy. When people wander away, God calls them back. It's almost as God is saying to us, I can't make you puppets. I can't, I can't force you to stay. I can't force you to obey my commands. I can't force you to follow me. So if you're going to turn your back and if you're going to run the other way, I'm going to let you go. It's the same thing that Jesus says in the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The, the son comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. And notice the father doesn't say, no, because I'm afraid you're going to go squander it. <laughs> right? The father knows in that story that if he wants true love, he can't force the son to stay. And so in a way, the story of Noah and the ark is just a foreshadowing of the prodigal son and in a much bigger sense, a foreshadowing of our relationship with God. We are the prodigal. We are the one who has run away. And so it's important that we don't just skip over this part. God says, I can't force you to stay just like the Father. And those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) You can't force obedience, right? You can't force love. You can force a lot of other things, but you can't force genuine love. In fact, we have a God in this story that loves us so much that he's not going to force himself on us. He's not going to say, you have to believe in me. You have to follow me. In fact, the story of the Old Testament isn't about a God who wants to take from us. It's a story about a God who wants 
to give to us. In fact, he was given us everything, and yet so often we turn away. God didn't just wake up one morning and said, hmm, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm angry. I'm having a bad day. Let's see. Haven't done the flood thing in a while. Let's do that, right? God's just not having a bad day. He's pursued these people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years without even a hint of repentance. And that's the prequel to the prequel that we don't even get here in this story. And so he must bring forth a plan of redemption. And so what I want to have you take away from this part of the story today that although it's not bright and cheery, it's true. I don't want you to take away a fear of an angry God but a healthy fear of a God who will not be mocked. That's a part of the story as well. A God who doesn't take the sin of the world and just kind of say, well, I'll just sweep it under the rug because it doesn't really have any consequences because your sin does have consequences. A God who's not weak, a God who's not sitting up in the clouds saying, oh, shoot, well, I guess I'll just have to deal with it. God will not be mocked. Our sin always comes back to us. God is not a pushover. If anything, the story of Noah should enlarge our view of who who this God is that we worship, but also this God that we're accountable to. God isn't just your buddy. I know there's t-shirts out there and they say, Jesus is my homeboy. Great. That's a part of it. Jesus can be your homeboy, but you know what? He's also your king and he's also your Lord. And he's also the one that we're ultimately accountable to when we come and we stand before him. God's standard is what we measure up to, not the standard of other people around you. It's God's standard, and that's what we see in the story today. He's your creator and he's your Lord. It's safe. It's not safe all the time. We don't worship a safe God, but he's good. And so I want to ask you, what is your view of God today? Before we get even into the story of Noah, what is your view of God? Because your view of who God is, is going to determine what your view of sin is. And determined based on your view of sin, is going to determine how great God's love truly is for you. If I am completely and utterly and desperately in need of a Savior, wow, then that boosts God's love up even higher in my view. God is incredible. What kind of a God would feel so much love that it would cause him pain? Well, yours does. One who wants a relationship with you. It's the kind of story that only God could write. Okay, so you still with me? Let's talk about the ark. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh, cubit. Try it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's a cubit? What's a cubit? Well, as it turns out, the next part of God's plan is to build an ark. God says to Noah, let's look at verse uh, 14, chapter 6, verse 14. God says to Noah in verse 14, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Now, I would propose the second reason that we know this is a story that only God could write is because of his perfect involvement in the details. Now, your version may say feet, because that's a little bit more of a modern version, but originally it says cubits, which ends up being about a foot and a half. People will debate on that all day long, but about a foot and a half. So it's pretty close to a foot, is a cubit, and kind of an ancient term of measurement. But we'll go with feet so that we can understand it. So 
God says to Noah, then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You can picture Noah with his notepad going, okay, slow down, slow down, slow down, right? Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat, put the door on the side, and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Only a God who is deeply committed to his plan would give instructions as detailed as these, right? God could have easily said, Good luck. A flood's coming, right? And then Noah's like, okay, well, I'll chop a tree down and carve a little canoe out of it or something like that. God is very involved in the details here. And you can read it anywhere that researchers that go back and look at these instructions and the measurements that God gave, they will unanimously tell you these plans are perfect. They're just flawless. This is exactly the kind of boat that would be needed to make it through a flood, (laughs) to float like that and to carry the weight of what was on the ark. It's genius. It's done by someone that is obviously in complete control of what he's doing. It's only a story that God could write. And to give you a little bit better picture of this, Uh, There was a film called Evan Almighty that came out uh, a few years ago, and some of you might remember this. Kind of a modern parable of the Noah story, and although it's not completely accurate, I don't know if the animals actually helped Noah build the ark, but uh, it gives you a bit of uh, a picture of the peace uh, and and the process of this project, and a little bit of humor thrown in there as well. So let's take a look. That's exactly how it happened. I guarantee it, just like that. Well, maybe not quite, but he does choose all of us, doesn't he? God says today, I choose you. And he says, follow me, walk in obedience with me, not just in the big decisions of your life, but in the details, in the cubits of your life. What are the cubits of your life? What are the details of your life that God's just kind of been push to the side of. Oh, God, I want you to tell me what job to take. I want you to tell me who to marry. I want you to tell me where to live. But all those other details, all the other little cubits of my life, just stay out of those. In fact, I don't even know if God really cares about the cubits of my life. Do you ever wonder what a God who orchestrated the construction of a massive ark, inch by inch, nail by nail, might have to say about the details of your life? What might God have to say about how you spend your time? What might God have to say about who you spend your time with? What kind of a friend you are? What is your attitude to your coworkers? Have you asked him what he thinks about the details of your life? Maybe the first step is believing that God actually has something to say, that God is not absent from your life, that God really cares and is invested in the day-to-day decisions that you make in your life. God cares about your marriage. God cares about how you're going to spend your summer vacation. Ask him. He might have something to say about it. God cares about how you spend the money that is on loan to you. What if you asked him? You might as well because he's already there. He's already in the cubits of your life, in the details, and he's already in Noah's life long before we ever get to the ark. Long before the building of the ark ever came along is because Noah, was, Noah wasn't any different than you or I, but because he invited God in to the details of his life. Let's look at verse 9. 
God's in the details with Noah because verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah walked with God. Noah didn't put in his time with God. Noah didn't just get by with God. Noah didn't do his Christian duty for God. They shared life together. They walked together. One of the things that uh, my wife and I have found recently that's very uh, enjoyable uh, for us and one of the most beneficial times of the day is kind of later in the evening uh, when it's cooled down a little bit and it's not so humid, uh, we set our work aside and we turn our phones off and we turn our computers off and we walk. We just walk, not with a clear direction in mind. I don't really know where we're going, just around. In fact, it's not really about the walking at all. It's about the closeness. It's about sharing life together. And, and what I love the most about going on walks is because it forces us to slow down. And although it's very, very hard for me to do that, we're not running. We're not rushed from place to place. We're walking and we have nowhere else to be at that time. And we have nothing else to do. Even if there's a hundred things on our to-do list, that is the most important place and the most important person that I could be with at that time. She gets my full attention. And by God's grace, I hope that that habit continues and I hope that it continues for you as well. She gets my full attention. And so I wonder... Do you go on walks with God? Do you go on walks with God? Do you feel like you have a close fellowship with him? If somebody wrote the story of your life, would they say your name walked with God? That they had a close fellowship with him? Okay, 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 okay. Back the truck up a second. You say, Noah was 600 years old. Of course he knew God well. He had a lot of time on his hands, right? It's just him and God. He's the only righteous dude in town, right? He's got a lot of time to talk to God. And yes, that's very, very true. And Noah's probably getting the AARP discount like 10, 11 times, you know? He's just got, it's basically free now. Wherever he goes, he just doesn't even have to pay for coffee anymore. He's like a super senior citizen. And so for Noah, the fact is his need for faith didn't start with the ark. His need for faith did not start with this story. It started hundreds of years before and continued for hundreds of hundreds of years of walking with God even when nobody else was. Even when nobody else was. Even when it wasn't convenient, he stayed the course. Even when it wasn't popular, he stayed the course. Even when everybody else was saying, nope, I'm just too busy. Nope, I got other things to do. Nope, my social life's more important. He stayed the course and said, this is the most important thing that I could be doing with my time. Even when it doesn't fit perfectly into my schedule, Noah walked with God. And so when the time came for God to choose the right man to go on this adventure with him, Guess who he came looking for? The old guy with the white beard. If you watch closely here, God used Noah to make the most significant contribution, his most significant contribution to the world in the final chapter of his life. 
when he could have just been kicking back out on the golf course, just playing 36 holes of golf a day and stopping by the clubhouse and sipping some lemonade and rolling in his Rolls, Rolls Royce and then going to his, his lake home and driving his yacht around. Noah could have done all that. There's a reason that God chose Noah. is because his heart was prepared. Instead, instead of kicking back and saying, you know what, I'm too old, I'm retired, my best days are behind me, God used Noah to change the world. Have you thrown in the towel? Have you thrown in the towel? Have you said, you know what, that's just about it. That's all that I can offer. I, I, I've reached kind of the end of my rope. This is a story about a God. This is a story that, in fact, only God could write because he takes those people that are at the very, very end chapter of their lives, who are at the end of the rope, who feel like their best days are behind them, who say, I've got too many issues, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too unqualified, and God takes those people and he does great things with them. What do you believe? This may seem like a very broad question, but I want you to think about it for a second. What do you believe that God is capable of doing in your life right now? Not when you were 20 and you had all the time and energy and all the innocence in the world. Right now, in your life, in your circumstances right now, what do you believe that God is capable of doing? I didn't say, what do you believe that you're capable of doing? I said, what do you believe that God is capable of doing in and through you? Don't throw in the towel, because it's never, never too late with God. I have to believe, I have to believe that if Noah was here today, after everything that he went through, because we know the end of the story, it all turns out okay, I think Noah would stand up here and he would look at each of us and say, you know what, with all due respect, you of little faith, (laughs) you of little faith, God really does stay true to his promises. What have you settled for in your mind today? Have you just settled on the fact that this is about all the farther that I'm going to go in my faith? You know what? I'm a little bit, I've been on the journey with God for a while. I've had all these experiences in ministry. I've been a part of the church for a while. And that's about it. That's all the farther it's going to go. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. God, that's about it. Thank you. I'm moving on. Do Do you give God a chance to blow your mind every single day because he can. Don't give up on that. Don't just say, you know what, I come and I'm going to put in my time here on Sunday. I'm going to go and I'm going to put on a nice smile for my small group. I'm going to answer my questions. I'm gonna, uh, maybe, maybe I'll even volunteer for something and, and serve. I'll just put in my time. Really? Is that all there is? Or are you missing out on the adventure that God is calling you to today. Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life and have it to the full. He didn't come so you could put in your time. He didn't come so you could walk around all day with a frown on your face. Is that the Christianity that we're inviting people into? Is duty? Or is it something more than that? So regardless of your life situation, whether there's a a baby on your lap today or your babies have babies, and everywhere in between, who do you believe this God to be? Or is he just a God of the Old Testament and Noah was just lucky? And now he's a different kind of God. He's more tame and safe.
God doesn't really do things like that anymore. Who is God? Well, we know he's not a wimp. We know that he takes our sin and our rebellion very seriously. But even more so, what he takes seriously is the grace and the forgiveness that he offers to every single one of us. What, what do you believe you've been forgiven for? If God says, I have all this grace and this forgiveness for you, what, it is, that, what is it that you've been forgiven for? Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That is the most, one of the most powerful, just short lines in all of Scripture. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Faith is an active thing. Faith is something that moves. And if you want to ask somebody, ask Noah. You can't just sit on your rump and build an ark. Faith is something that takes action, even when you don't see the results right away. God says to Noah, walk with me, stay close with me, trust in me, go on the adventure of life with me. And Noah, you're going to discover why you're here. You've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years and you're wondering, does my life have any significance? God says, stay with me, walk with me, and you're going to discover the reason that you're in the place you are. And that goes for all of us today. God says, I want to tell you why you were born into that family, why you married that person, why you are in that family, in that town, why you have that job that you have. Why have I placed those dreams on your heart? God says, stay with me, walk with me, and I'm going to show you why you're here. Walk with me, God says, and you're going to find life. Take time for worship every single week, even in the summer. Stay diligent. Walk with me. Walk with me. Don't make it an empty ritual. Just talk to me. Talk to me. I'm right here. Ask me for guidance. Ask me for wisdom. Don't don't get lazy and don't get distracted, God says, because I don't want you to miss out on anything that I have for you. I want to deepen your faith. I want to shake you out of your comfort zone like I did for Noah. God says, with all due respect, I'm sorry, but we're not in Kansas anymore. It's time to step out. It's time to step out of that little box that you've been living in. Maybe for you, it's shutting off your cell phone and your laptop and taking the risk of leading your family spiritually. Maybe it's stepping out today and pursuing your wife like you did 20 years ago. Maybe it's saying no today to the addictions and the choices in your life that you know are hurting you and are hurting others. As, as scary as that can be, as scary as that dependency can be. Maybe it's being vulnerable enough today to join a small group and to, for once in your life, let other people love you for who you are. Maybe it's stepping out in that way. Maybe it's finally looking at the little boy or the little girl that's inside of you and stepping out of that and stepping in to the man or woman of God that he's calling you to be. Maybe it's, it's taking a few nights this week and, 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 and sharing Jesus with kids that are halfway from halfway across the world in VBS this summer. Maybe it's, it's, it's stepping out of your, your comfort zone and saying, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of just going through the motions of Christianity. I want to do something different. I know what stepping out is for all of us. It's for all of you being here. It's a step of faith for all of you. It would be much easier to play it safe. You could be a lot of other places, but you've, you're here and you've chosen to say, I want to do church in a different way. I want to do church in a different way. I want to do things in a brand new way 
that nobody else is doing to reach people that nobody else is reaching? What's your ark? What's your ark? God may not be calling you to build a boat today. What's your ark? And maybe today is finally the day that you step out and you respond. Maybe that that dream that God placed in your heart, maybe those desires and those passions that you've just been kind of shoving under the rug because of constant disappointment and woundedness in your life. What's your ark? Stop playing it so safe and get into the game with me, God says. I choose you. Well, how are you going to know? How are you going to know what your ark is? Well, will, will you walk with him today? Will you dance with God and find out? Let's join our Noah character, Evan, one more time for a little dance with God after the flood. Aww. Sweetheart, be careful. Come here. Hey, hon. Save me one, okay? Okay. I'll be right back. Hey. Hey. What are you doing here? Just hanging out with some old friends. You knew all along, didn't you? You knew the dam was unstable. It hadn't been for the ark, my family, the neighbors... I fought you every step of the way. Yes, but you did it. So you had nothing to do with the flood? Like where the ark landed exactly? I gave you a little shove at the end. Sue me. (laughs) You did good, son. You changed the world. No, no, I didn't. Well, let's see. Spending time with your family, making them very happy. Gave that dog a home. Right, so... So, how do we change the world? One act of random kindness at a time. One act of random kindness. Wow. It's time. Do the dance. Care to join me? together. So maybe it's time not just to do, I can't even do it, to do a silly dance, but maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to be a church that's willing to be obedient no matter what and trusting that it's almost like God is right there beside us offering us wisdom 
and support and maybe just laughing with us. Maybe just enjoying life together. Genesis Genesis 8, verse 11. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. And this will be a sign, God said, of my covenant to you. I keep my promises. I keep my promises thousands of years later. You can trust in me. I have rescued you. I have forgiven you. I am committed to you. I've given you a lot more than rainbows. I've given you a whole lot more than just rainbows. I've given you my life. It's for you. So come, walk with me, dance with me, follow me. Let's pray.